Daniel chapter number 1. And uh, while you're turning there, I'm going to read uh, a verse or two in uh, uh, other places. And I'm going to get you to help me. I'm not trying to trick you. Uh, I feel like that you know probably these passages of Scripture as well as I do. And I want you to just uh, tell me uh, who you think that this individual is that I find uh, in these verses. In Daniel chapter number 3, of course... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has been thrown into the fiery furnace. And verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar looks in there. Verse 25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, I need somebody to tell me who you think that fourth one is is in the fire. All right. Boy, I'm going to tell you, you're on the ball. Now, let's go over to chapter number 7 and verse 13 and 14. Daniel's having a vision, and he said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. There was given to him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. I need a little help here. Who is it that uh, Daniel seeing here with the king and the dominion that would uh, be forever and ever? You say, it's Jesus, and I agree with you. And then in Daniel chapter number 9, verse number 26, the Bible said, After three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off. Who is the Messiah? All right, this morning, and as the Lord wills, uh, in the few days we'll be together, I want to use what you told me. And uh, I believe that you're right. This is not a stretching of the text, uh, but we are basing it upon what you have seen, and you've seen the same thing that I saw. And it is this truth, based upon these verses that we have read, in uh, Daniel chapter 3, chapter 7, and and chapter 9, I want to preach on this subject this morning. Jesus is in Babylon. Now, I didn't say he was. You said he was, based upon the Scripture that I have read. So I don't think I'm stretching the text at any length at all to emphasize that in Daniel's day, and this shouldn't surprise us, because Jesus didn't come into existence when he was born in Bethlehem. Uh, He was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He was in eternity past. As a matter of fact, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And so as we read the Old Testament, and I'm particularly interested in the book of Daniel, the thrill of my soul is that when Daniel goes to Babylon, lo and behold, he finds Jesus there. He runs into Jesus. Now, I know that he's there typically, 
I know that he's there in the Trinity. Anywhere you find the Father, you'll find the Son, you'll find the Holy Ghost. You can't separate them. But in the book of Daniel, he is there literally. That is literally Jesus in that fire. That is literally Jesus that Daniel is seeing, and that is literally Jesus who is the Messiah. So this is, uh, this is a, a thrill to my heart to realize that Jesus is in Daniel's Babylon. And here's the application this morning. If Jesus could show up 2,500 years ago in what today is called Iraq on Daniel's behalf, if he could show up in Daniel's Babylon, you reckon he could show up in our little world where we're at. Has anybody here this morning run into Jesus lately? Now, I didn't ask you if you read your Bible. I didn't ask you if you said your little prayer last night. I didn't ask you if you was here for Sunday school. I didn't ask you if you've been in church the last few services. You can do all of that and never run into him. My question is, uh, have you seen him lately? <laughs> he hasn't been down there on the job in the last week or two, has he? Mama, he hasn't been stirring around the kitchen with you a little bit, has he? He hasn't showed up. You reckon he's been by the hospital this week? <laughs> Could it be that the Son of God would even show up at the funeral home? <laughs> if he could show up in Daniel's Babylon, he can show up anywhere. Good news, child of God. Jesus could show up today in your situation. He showed up. <laughs> and I'm glad he did, aren't you? I'm glad he shows up in my situation. I'm glad he shows up in your situation. Now I want to read uh, the first chapter here of the book of Daniel, make two or three comments. It is in this chapter that Daniel is being uh, placed in Babylon. He's being transported to Babylon. He's being, my word is, he's being moved to Babylon. This is a great move in his life. But my emphasis is this. Jesus is in the movements of our lives as he is in Daniel's and our reading. Let's begin in verse number 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave unto Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful, in all wisdom, cunning, in knowledge, and understanding, science, such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, 
to whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah of Shadrach, to Mishael of Meshach, to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. The prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse lacking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let your countenances be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that either the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, prove them ten days. And at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in. Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom, understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, the astrologers that were in all of his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Now I want to emphasize in this chapter as Daniel is being transported uh, to Babylon, as he has been made to move into Babylon, I want us to see in this moving of Babylon how that Jesus is even intertwined. Not only in Daniel's movements, but can I assure you that nothing happens by accident in our lives. There are a lot of movements that take place in the course of a life. But if you have surrendered to the Lord Jesus, you have met Him and He is your Savior. Can I say that he is even in charge of the movements, whatever they may be that take place in your life. Now, we're going to notice uh, two or three things about the movements of Babylon, how 
how Daniel is placed there. I, I would say, uh, personally, that I really don't like a lot of movement. I counted uh, as, a, uh, as a young child, a lad, back in West Virginia, that uh, by the time I became an adult, that I had moved close to 20 times, different schools, different homes, different areas. Uh, but, lest you think I'm unstable, I've only moved twice in the last 25 years. Uh, but I don't like all of the moves that take place, but it's, it is part of life. Not everything's going to remain the same. Uh, our health is going to change. Uh, circumstances and situations in our children's lives are going to be different. Uh, society is going to... Uh, to move in many ways. Uh, there are going to be differences uh, in life. The old soap opera used to say, as the world turns. And I guess that's so. There's always this turning going on. There's always these changing. There's always these different things that are coming into our lives. So it is with Daniel. This is a great trauma. He's born and raised in Judah. No doubt somewhere around Jerusalem. And beyond his consent and his control, he is uprooted in one, uh, one swath of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's hand and he is transported into a country that he knows nothing about. Now let me mention three things about the movements and I, I'm connecting it to Jesus. First of all, I notice in our text how the movements of life, the movements of this world are very different. Daniel is being moved beyond his environment. Uh, he's, he's being taken away. Possibly his parents have been slain. I don't know. Many were. But he's being uprooted and taken away from his mother, his father. He's being taken away from uh, the circle that he's known all of his life. Uh, he's being removed from the priests and the, the temple the places of worship and the sacrifices. He's being removed from the, the teachings of, the, of the, the Old Testament and the writing of Moses. Everything that has been an influence on his life, he is being, he is being taken away from that environment. He's being placed into a totally different uh, environment. Uh, there's no priest there, at least, at least no, no priest that he's used to. Uh, there's no temple there, at least as to what he's used to. Uh, all of these things have changed. The environment has, has changed. He's being moved beyond his environment. He's been moved beyond his experiences. Now, I don't know what uh, all it might have involved as far as Daniel's experiences at that young of an age, what all he might have known. Certainly he's been... He's been taught the scriptures. They memorize them from a young age. He knows, uh, of course, the formalities of his religion. Uh, he understands all of that. But uh, all of whatever the experiences were in, in, uh, at, at home and in Jerusalem and Judea, all of those experiences, uh, I tell you, they have little effect as to where he's at now. Uh, the, the environment and the experiences of the past uh, are different because he's moved into a place where there's different people, there's different principles, there's different powers, there's different passions, there's different gods, 
There's different lifestyles, there's different musics, there's different rulers, there's different demands, there's different views. He's being taken completely away from his comfort zone into a world of which he knows little about. And can I say to you, child of God, no matter where you've been up to this point, it's not been where you're going to be in your future. And there is no way that our experiences of the past are going to be able to help us in the experiences of tomorrow because we've never experienced those things. We never never know, as, as uh, James said, what a day may bring forth. There will come changes in our lives whether we want them to or not. We're going to face them. Certain sicknesses, certain heartaches, certain tragedies, certain changes will befall us. And uh, there's no, no book, uh, there, there's no experience, there's no circumstance of the past because we've never been where we are. And so it is with Daniel. He, he can't run to his mother and his father and ask them what to do about the soup and what to do about the, the wine and what to do about the king's meat. They're not there. He cannot inquire of the preacher or the priest and, and let him make the decision for him because they're not there. He's in a situation, he's in a circumstance, he's in a place that he has never been and he's there, so to speak, uh, all by himself. And I'm going to tell you, the only thing's going to help him over here because he doesn't have what he had over there <laughs> is his only hope is if Jesus shows up. And can I say to you, children, God has ways of getting us into places and circumstances where he cuts off the voices of everything else and the experiences of the past that we would depend on and he brings us to himself alone to speak to our hearts and to speak to our lives. I don't know how far the move will be. I don't know how big the move will be. But I do know that he is determined to get us to where he alone can speak. So the movings of Babylon are very different, taking us away from the familiar places, from the comfort zones to where he can speak to us. The second thing I'd have you to notice about this, the, the movements of Babylon, how he's placed in this predicament, not only are they different, as we know that they are, but I understand that they are dangerous. Babylon's a dangerous place to be. But it's dangerous because of two things. And can I say to you that the changes that come into our lives that evolve uh, from day to day that we face on whatever level that they may be, uh, whatever the situation is, it's dangerous times in our lives. It has an effect upon us. And if we're not careful, it'll change us and possibly in the wrong way. I've seen it happen on many occasions where circumstances will befall someone and because of the discouragement and the despondency and because they have been moved out of their shelter and their known environment that somehow it turns them in the wrong direction. But there's two dangers about being moved into new circumstances as Daniel was. The first danger is becoming overwhelmed. 
You've got to understand where Daniel is going. He is being placed in Babylon, which is the, the world kingdom and power of that day. There is much about this kingdom that would captivate you and cause you to marvel. You think about those walls that were some 300 and some feet high and some uh, 20 to 30 feet thick. They said you could run four chariots abreast around the top of it. He'd never seen anything like that. How awesome it must have been to those boys coming from uh, the countryside of Judea to this place, to this, this massive world kingdom that is renowned. Becoming overwhelmed at what you see. And then to enter into that, to that uh, place, to that kingdom, to where they are being placed. And to see and behold, you think about that image that Nebuchadnezzar built, some 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and overlaid with pure gold. How fascinating that must have been. (laughs) And think about the sumptuous provisions that are there that are laid out before us in our text of the meals and the meat and the king's wine. Things that Daniel, no doubt, as an average child, had never ever experienced. How, how overwhelming it could have been to him as he saw all of the provisions of this great and wondrous place. They tell us that the hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the world to behold. Could you imagine as they saw that? What has happened to the majority of those who were transported into Babylon as Daniel was and as his three friends were, 99% of them got sucked up into the kingdom of which they were placed in. They become a part of that place. It was not long you could tell no difference between them and the Babylonians. They mixed and they mingled and they ate and they drank and they missed until the danger was they had become so thrilled with this new kingdom and of its provisions and of all that they could get out of it and, and, and it just sucked them up into it. And I say to you, the dangers of this world is that we lose our identity. And we're not in this world to become like this world because we're not of this world. But I'm going to tell you, if we're not careful as society moves on and as we move on and as the changes and differences begin to take place, somehow we become more and more and more like this world that we begin to love and we begin to partake of. And we just become another Babylonian with a little title that says we're an Israelite. It is is dangerous. It is dangerous because we can become overwhelmed. But the movements of Babylon are not only dangerous because we can become overwhelmed, but they are dangerous because we can can become overcome. It can not only overwhelm us, it can overcome us. This is the other extreme, and I think this is where most people are. Either you've got some folks who are just saturated in this world, and you've got other folks who just can't see any good in anything. And they walk around with their chin dragging the ground, grumbling and complaining, and uh, fretting, and, and uh, being fearful of everything that is happening. And there could have been that danger also because I'm going to tell you again, 
If you're in Babylon, it can get rough. You think about the king and how mad he got that he first right off the bat was going to cut everybody's head off. That's, that's pretty dangerous. It is dangerous in Babylon. If you get down that fire, honey, it's hard to tell what'll happen. And it's dangerous in Babylon. Have you heard that they've got lions that like to eat people and they actually feed people to the lions? <laughs> it's a dangerous place. But you don't want to be caught up in the other extreme. I find God's people take pleasure in moaning and groaning about what happens in this old world. In the midst of this old world and in the midst of, this, of the movements of this old world, God is able to bless you. Even as he did Daniel, and he gave him, the Bible said, he gave him favor in the sight of the eunuch. God is able to bless us. Don't go around moaning and groaning and complaining and giving the devil all the credit about everything that's happened in your life. It makes it dangerous in that we, we are overcome. Yes, there are these extremes, but honey, you don't want to become bitter. You don't want to become uh, filled with uh, anger and malice and, and all of these other things just because of the events that transpire in this old world. Can I say to you, you're not in this world to become overwhelmed. You're not in this world to get overcome. But you're in this world for one purpose. And that is no matter where you're at, to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that'll shelter you and keep you from letting this old world have too big of an influence on either side in your life. And what a sad ending it would be as did happen in Babylon, that Jesus would show up so often and you would go through the experience and never see him. Did you realize that in, in Babylon, we've noted on three occasions that Jesus showed up, and I believe there were many other occasions, but as far as we can tell, Daniel and, and the three Hebrew children, a couple of kings, were the only ones that ever saw him. Well, how sad it is that somewhere along today's journey that Jesus may show up, but we're so caught up in the religious realm or we're so caught up in the worldly realm or we're so caught up with, uh, with uh, the attitudes of the day that we miss the fact that Jesus is here and he has shown up that you might uh, see him and not get caught up with all the frills and thrills as far as this world is concerned. So we notice that Daniel is being moved into Babylon and in doing so it is different. Nothing's like what it used to be. Boy, how things can change overnight. Overnight. And the things are dangerous. <laughs> now let me, let me note this. You don't want to go to Babylon with your Sunday school certificate. Uh, that, that just wouldn't work. You don't want to come into Babylon with uh, a record of your heritage and, and how you've been raised. You don't want to come to Babylon just to tote in the Bible. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, in Babylon, if you get down in that fiery furnace, 
Honey, I'm going to tell you, that, that fiery furnace, it'll burn up a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian. If you get down there where the lines are, they, they, you know, they're, they're not partial. I mean, they can't tell any difference between the taste of any of them. they eat any of them. You don't want to get in those places with a little religion talking about where you came from and who you know and even how much Bible you've read and how much praying you've prayed, honey. If you get in the fire and you get in the lion's den, there's no substitute for Jesus. This old world is too dangerous. This old world is too dangerous. (laughs) This old Bible's just black on white if you're not seeing Jesus. Prayer means nothing if you're not seeing Jesus. Coming to this church means absolutely zilch unless you're seeing Jesus. The sermon that I'm preaching to you today means nothing unless you can see Jesus in it. This world's dangerous. Uh, the, the, the movements of this world are different. And the, the movements of this world are, are dangerous. But then can I point out to you lastly, the movements of this old world, the movements of Babylon, are divine. Look, if you will, in verse number 2. We see that God is the one who's doing the moving in our lives. He's using the movements of this old world as an instrument to take us in the direction of which he wants us to go. The Bible said in verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Now, children, I want you to know this morning, God is the one who's moving really in this text providentially. God is the one who's moving Daniel and his three friends physically. But the reason why he is moving them providentially and physically is that he wants to move them spiritually. He does, uh, God does the moving, as I say, in our lives. He has a purpose in it. God moved Joseph out of the presence of his father down to Egypt and then ultimately to a throne. But it was God who was moving Joseph to that throne. God used Joseph's brethren to do that. God used Satan to move Job into a place of worship. God used the Pharisees to get Jesus to the cross. God used the storm to get the disciples to the other side. And so what God's simply doing is he's busy in this world and in the movements of this old world. Don't worry about what it's doing Because God's going to use the circumstances of nature and of society to get us to where he wants us to be. He's moving us. (laughs) But he's moving us from where we are to where he is. Have you thought about that? I wonder when's the last time anybody had seen Jesus in that religious system called uh, uh, Israel and, and uh, over there in Judea. I wonder when's the last time Jesus had showed up around there and anybody had seen him. As far as I can tell from the Word of God, they'd done, they'd done killed and run off all the prophets. 
And they'd shut their ears to them. No doubt it had been years since Jesus had, had been able to, to squeeze in a word edgewise over there in the religious system. So what Jesus does is he takes, he takes Daniel and his three friends from, from the religious system where they're not going to see him and hear him anyhow. And he moves them from where they are to where he is to where he, they can hear and they can see him. And you see, the problem is, is in your little sheltered system of whatever it consists of, it's hard telling how long it's been since you've seen Jesus. And he's not interested in the religious system. He's interested in moving you from where you are to where he is. Uh, he, you know, oftentimes we pray and we say, Lord, would you just come to where we are? Would you come and help us? But I wonder, would it be all right this morning if he wanted to take you to where he is? <laughs> uh, we, I've already heard the testimonies this morning. You want revival. Well, a measure of revival to me, I guess revival basically would be if, if, if you got to where Jesus was. <laughs> but now you better hold on, because you'll see, but do you really want revival? Are you sure you do? Before you go to praying, you've got to realize that it might take some moving. It might take some shaking up. It might take some transporting in your life to get you to where you can really see the Son of God like he wants to show himself to you. <laughs> I mean, if he's down in the fiery furnace and he says, uh, you said, boy, I'd sure like to meet the Lord today. And he said, well, I'm, I'm down here in the fiery furnace. If you don't mind, come on down. We'll have some fellowship. <laughs> Somebody said, I haven't seen the Lord, and I don't know where. I wish I could get with him. He said, Well, I'm down here where the lines are. Just come on down. We spend some time together. I gotta get you from where you're at to where I am. I don't know what all that'll involve, but I know that it's gonna have to happen. <laughs> no, we don't like it, thank God, for the movements that God orchestrates as he was the one that moved these boys, the movement that he orchestrates in our lives to get us to the place where we can hear and see him as we need to. I thought about John on the Isle of Patmos. John, the Bible said, who am your brother and companion in tribulation and in kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice. Wait a minute, John. I thought they put you out there all by yourself. <laughs> I thought they transported you out there because of your preaching. What do you mean you heard a voice? <laughs> he said, I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned. I saw the seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like the Son of Man. He said, I, I, this old world moved me and put me on an island all by myself. And while I was there, would you believe it? Jesus showed up. And I heard him and I saw him like I'd never seen him before. Oh, I, do. I don't want to just preach. I don't just want to go to church. I don't want to just sing songs and hear sermons. I want to see Jesus. 
But children, I must tell you, it'll involve some movings to get you from where you're at to where he's at. I was thinking, I, I closed it, I was thinking about uh, <clears throat> Daniel and how he was taken over into Babylon. And lo and behold, <laughs> I mean, if you could talk to Daniel and say, Daniel, I mean, what was the greatest, I hear Babylon was a marvelous majestic place. What was the greatest thing about Babylon? What, what about all those we heard about hanging gardens and those walls and that military and those great places of education and learning? He said, Dad, that ain't nothing. He said, the big thing about Babylon was I run into Jesus. And that'll be the big thing about any experience you go through. I guarantee you that'll be the thing you'll come out talking about if you get to seeing him. You won't be talking about the doctors. You won't be talking about the sickness. You won't be talking. You'll be saying, you know what? Right in the midst of that ordeal, I run into Jesus. He come down the hall into the room. And he said, I just thought I'd stop by and talk to you a while while I had you on your back. I could get your attention. And we could fellowship just a little bit. Well, you come out loud shouting. Praising God. But I thought about that uh, when, when we first went into uh, Iraq in this, uh, this war that we're in now. And it seems as though that we just marched right over top of every kind of offense that we ran into. But the news media began to say that the real battle was going to be at Baghdad. That uh, the front was going to be there. And that Saddam was waiting on us there, and he'd thrust all of his forces at us there. Well, if you followed it, you realize that when we got to Baghdad, it fell easier than anything else did. And so the questions began to arise and arouse, and folks began to say, well, how did that happen? Then it came out in the news later that Long before the soldiers, about three or four months before the soldiers, maybe even long that, ever got to, uh, to Baghdad, that our military had sent in what was called special operations troops, special ops. They secretly went in. There was somewhere around 5,000 of them. And while on the inside they began to undermine uh, and, and overtake Saddam's system. That's why they wasn't able to blow up those oil wells. They'd, they'd already taken them over. They found out where the Red Guard was and, and all of these other things. They had it all ready so that when our, our military got up there, they just called out and said, well, if you'll send a missile right over here, you'll hit the Red Guard. That's where they're at. Boom. <laughs> and they basically said, you know, we got it covered, just come on in. I thought about that, and I thought about Jesus. He'll never send you where he's not and where he's not been. <laughs> what you got to realize, he already got it covered, and he wouldn't ask you to come. And he went into Babylon, took that thing over. He was the special op in Babylon. And after he got into Babylon, he sent back to Daniel and his three boys said, come on over, I got this thing taken care of. I figure what we'll do is just conquer this place from the inside out. We're going to do what no world power can do from the outside. We're going to get her from the inside. And brother, I want you to know they did. Because Jesus was there. And can I say to you this morning, 
I don't know what lies ahead for any of us. I don't know what we'll have to face. We have no promises as to the changes that will evolve in our lives, the events that will transpire. But I can promise you this. Jesus will be there because he said, I'll never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And if the change comes, he has one purpose in mind. He's trying to get you to where he's at. And so before you bow your head and get to mumbling and grumbling and talking about how rough it is down on the job and how you're being mistreated in this old world and how luck has gone against you, <laughs> if you know the Lord Jesus, get to looking around you because he may be closer than you think. And he's the only answer. He's the only answer for our babbling. But thank God you told me that Jesus was in Daniel's Babylon. And if he's in Daniel's, you reckon he might show up around your house today? <laughs> Could be that he will.